One of my favorite jokes was told to me by an accountant, and uh, he said, you know, there was a, a rich man, a, a very rich man, and I'll adapt the story to Taiwan, and he wanted to take his money with him. He, and he called his accountant, his doctor, and his lawyer to his bedside. And he said, I am going to die soon. And they say that I can't take my money with me, but I'm going to try. And so here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you each 2 million NT. And right as they close the casket, I want you to put it in with me. And so they, you know, the, these three men who had known him for so long said, okay, We'll, we'll do that. Each one left with two million in cash. The, sure enough, the man died. And as they were closing the casket, the doctor walked up and put a package in the casket. The lawyer walked up and put a package in the casket. And the doctor, or the accountant, walked up and placed something in the casket. Now, afterwards, at the reception, they were talking to each other, and the doctor said, I have a confession to make. He said, I only, I only put $1.5 million in the casket. I actually, my practice has not been doing so well. I'm a little behind in, uh, in some of my bills, and I, I held back half a million for myself. And the lawyer said, well, I have a confession to make. I only put a million in the casket. My wife has been bugging me to go on a vacation, and I didn't have the cash, and so now we're going around the world. The accountant crossed his arms and just said, I'm ashamed of you both. I put a check in for the full amount. Oh, you can't, you can't take it with you, can you? You can't take it with you. You know, uh, when Rockefeller died, John Rockefeller, one of the wealthiest men in history, who's an American, um, one of the wealthiest men to ever live. And someone asked his accountant, how much did he leave? How much did he leave behind this, this man, one of the wealthiest men in the world at the time? How much did he leave behind? And the accountant said, all of it. All of it. You can't take it with you. Jesus talks about money more than just about anything. And there's a time where he's teaching and this, this man just bursts on the scene. And he says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, you know, he's, he's interrupting Jesus, demanding that Jesus intervene in this situation now, in, in Jesus' day, rabbis uh, typically did this. They, they would uh, give legal decisions. So if you had a dispute in a family, they could go to a rabbi, and the, the rabbi could tell them what to do, and they would follow it. So he is expecting Jesus to side with him. But if you see in Luke chapter 12, and could I ask someone to, uh, to get me a glass of water? And right as I started, for those of you who pray, I got a, suddenly a headache has come on me. And so if you could, Rutian, if you could pray for me, that would, that, that would be great. Um, I, just in your seat is okay. So for those of you who pray, if you can pray for me, I just got this 
headache out of nowhere as we started. But anyway, um, the man bursts on the scene. And Jesus says to him, he responds to him this way. He says, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And the way that Jesus addresses him is not rude, but it's not friendly. Jesus doesn't call him brother. He, call, he says, man, hey, hey, look, buddy, why are you bringing me into this? This man is concerned about money, and, and what you see is he's not concerned about his relationship with his brother. Because if two brothers are arguing about money, and the younger brother could not receive the inheritance until the older brother agreed. So the older brother can hold out. The younger brother's demanding it. And what is he doing? What if Jesus says, okay, divide it? What happens to the relationship with his brother? The two brothers do what? They split, right? Actually, I know of someone who had a, was part of a, a blended family, a step family, and there were two brothers, or there were four brothers and a sister, and, and the eldest brother died. And he left one of the brothers more money than the others. One brother got more money. And there was the, the two brothers, two of the brothers had such a dispute because one of them said, oh, you should share it equally. And the other refused. And so they stopped talking. The relationship was totally broken because one brother got more than the other. And so Jesus is more concerned about the relationship than the money. The man just wants his inheritance. He just wants his money. And he's saying, Jesus, step in and give me what belongs to me. Jesus refuses. And instead, he uses it as a moment to teach about money. And he says to them, be on your guard against all types of greed. Take care against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. One's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. What is our life? Our, our life is our joy, our happiness, our identity, our security. And we try to find that in money. And Jesus is saying you can't find it in money. You know, people try to find life in money and, and they'll let other things burn. They'll let other things be destroyed to get money. I know of a man who had to leave or chose to leave his country because of a court judgment against him. He needed to pay out uh, quite, a, quite a bit of money. And so he and his wife decided that they would leave the country. And so they, they came over to, uh, to Asia and began working here. And so with the money that he needed to pay out, he ended up buying a house in a third country. So he bought a, a house in a country that he enjoyed, in a place that he liked being in. It wasn't the country that he worked in. It wasn't the country where his family was. It was just this other nation. And you know what? He, he could go to that house about once a year, twice a year, maybe three times. And he bought this house, but in the process, he could not go home to his family because if he went home, he would, his passport would have been stopped. The court would have 
forbid him from leaving the country until he paid the debt. And so he decided that instead of paying the debt, I'll go into exile. And he ended up being separated from his child for years because he didn't want to pay the debt because he wanted this house in this third nation. And you can imagine how that works out. It it doesn't work out well. But what was it? He thought life was in the money. And if I give the money up, I'm going to lose my life. And Jesus is saying, your life is not in possessions. Your life is not in houses. Your life is not in money. Several months ago, I talked about Scott Harrison. He's the CEO of Charity Water. In his late teens, early 20s, he became a nightclub promoter in New York City. He, at that time, was making $200,000 a year, partying with the wealthiest uh, people in New York City, the the richest people, the most beautiful people in, in New York City. His job was to make the party fun. And so he's making incredible amounts of money. He's living like a millionaire because everybody's giving him free things. And he said, This, for years, I'd been pursuing the wrong things, from the BMW I bought as a teenager to the designer clothes I now wore to the drugs I took in the hip cities I bragged about visiting. I'd been, but where had it left me? With a numb body, a drug habit, fingernails bitten down to the ugly nubs. I'd been partying with some of the richest people I'd never ever known, guys who would gamble 10,000 U.S. dollars on a hand of blackjack with, while looking indifferent as to whether they'd win or lose. He says, so this is how it all plays out. I thought to myself, there will never be enough. Someone else would always have more money, a nicer car, a prettier girl. The evidence was all around me. He lived this lifestyle for about nine, ten years. So wealthy, chasing money, chasing fame. And he realized at the end of it, it was empty. You know, most of us probably aren't at that place. We're in the place where maybe some of us are thinking, well, if I just get this job, I'll have a good life. If I could just get the raise, if I could just be able to go on these vacations, if I could just be able to buy these things, then my life will be good. And so we make decisions in order to pursue the wealth because we think wealth is going to buy us life. And Jesus is telling the crowd, life is not in stuff. Joy is not in stuff. The love that you're longing for is not in money. The happiness that you're looking for is not in things. Jesus is warning us, be on guard, watch out. Because the world's message is if I just get more, if I just have more, I'll have a good life. And so Jesus wants to drive this point home and he tells a story. He tells a story. Why? Because stories stick. And we we hear, okay, life is not in stuff. I I don't know if I believe that. And we move on. But if we get the story, then we'll think about the story. And so what is this story? This story is about a rich man who, he's a farmer. He owns a farm. 
and not because of anything he had done, but just because it was a great year, his land produced plentifully. So he had this surprise abundance. Maybe it's suddenly your, your company goes public and your stock options are worth far more than you could imagine. And so what does he do? That, that's essentially what's happened to him. And he says, you know what? What should I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. I have so much, I don't have a barn big enough to contain it. I know. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you've got ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. I mean, this sounds like what the world tells us we should do, right? This is the American dream right here. Earn so much money, get so much that you can put it aside and live for many years joyful, happy, not relaxing, not working anymore, just resting, eating, drinking, entertaining yourself, traveling, watching movies, going to plays, whatever it is. He's saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to take it easy and I'm going to enjoy my life. And so many of us, if we heard this part of the story and we stopped there, we'd probably think, man, that's the guy I want to be. I want to live like that. But then Jesus continues. God says to the man, fool, this night your life is required of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? Now, the, the word your life is required is, is a business word. It's like a lease. Your life is on lease, and tonight you need to turn it in. And who's going to get all this stuff? And so Jesus tells a story. Why does he tell this story? What is it about this guy that he got wrong? What is it that he got wrong? Well, one of the things, if, if we look at the text you see that he actually says 12 times. He refers to himself 12 times. What shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. I will do this. I will tear down my barns. I will store all my grain and my goods. I will say to my soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. So this man is living in a culture where every decision you make is a public decision. You have bumper crops. What do you do? You talk to people. You talk to your family. You talk to your friends. You say, what should I do? I have so much. And so for him to only be talking to himself would be out of the ordinary for his culture. This man is focused on one thing, himself. He's isolated from other people in his community. He's isolated from the needs of other people. He is thinking about himself only. And what does he want? He wants comfort. He wants pleasure through eating and drinking. And he wants to be entertained. That's his goal. Now, finally, I've arrived. I can stop working so hard. I can just rest and relax and enjoy the fruit of my labor. But what was the thing? Was it his hard work that got him the plentiful harvest? It wasn't. 
It says the land produced a plentiful crop. It was God's blessing. It was God's blessing that allowed him to acquire the wealth that he had. And he made the choice that I'm going to just spend it on myself. Now, where, you know, one of the things with what Jesus teaches is the temptation is always to think, okay, who do I know like that guy? I know, you know what, my brother, my brother's like this man. I should talk to my brother about this. And we, we need to avoid the temptation to look outside. And we need to look inside. And we need to ask the question, how am I like that guy? In what ways am I like him? What was this guy's problem? He was thinking about himself. Nowhere did he ask the question, God, what do you want me to do with the money I have? Nowhere did he say, God, thank you for what you've given me. He just says, wow, look at all I've got. All right, now I'm going to use it for myself. And so Jesus says, he says this, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Everybody who lays up treasure for themselves and is not rich toward God is like this. Is like this. And so what we want to do is we want to begin to ask ourselves, am I like this? Because our life is on lease. Your life is on lease. One day you're going to have to turn it in and when you turn it in God is going to look at how you used your money are you ready for that we don't know all we got is today right all we have is today a couple weeks ago there was a, a British man who died on PP Island a 33 year old he was there visiting friends At 4 a.m., he got up, tripped over his suitcase, fell through a glass door. And the door, the glass pierced him. Health, perfectly healthy young man. Gone. You don't know how much time you have. Your life is on lease. You are not in control. And so if your life is on lease and you have to turn it in, if there will be an account for how you live your life and how you live, use your money, are you ready? Are you ready for that? With the decisions you're making right now, are you ready to lay it before God? See, if if we come with humility and we look at the word, Jesus is trying to prepare us. He's trying to warn us. And we could say, okay, okay, my life is on lease. I'm going to be held to account. What then should I do? And then we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us through his word, and he can show us what we should do with our wealth. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at that. We're going to be talking about it. But today, as we go on, Jesus says, uh, it's like this if you store things up for yourself, but you're not rich toward God. 
so storing things up for ourselves, you know, we could say, well, if I'm, I'm just buying things for myself, I'm buying electronics for myself, I'm traveling for myself, I'm accumulating things for myself to enjoy, to be entertained. So now there's nothing wrong with traveling, there's nothing wrong with buying a home, there's nothing wrong with buying a car, all right? And so what does Jesus say? It says, for himself, without being rich toward God. Without being rich toward God. God is not against wealthy people. He's against wealth being used as a God. He's against wealth being only used for ourselves. And so, what does he say? Being rich toward God. What does it mean to be rich toward God? What does it mean to be rich toward God? Before, you know, we get to what rich means, you know, and, and this is one of the frustrating things with Jesus. Is it's not clear, is it? You know, for, for some of us, we like it to be exact. You know, in the Old Testament, it was a percentage. In the Old Testament, they say give 10%. So they called this a tithe. A tithe was 10% of what you got in the year. So the money you made, the crops that you had, you took 10% of that and you brought it to the temple and you gave it to the priests and the Levites. And what it was is, is there was one tribe in Israel that their job was to help people worship God. And so they couldn't work because their job was to help others. And so, I mean, they did work. They worked in the temple. And so everybody else would support them so that the temple could run. And it was 10%. It was sort of like a tax. The same way that, that we would pay taxes to the government, God instituted a tithe. Now, actually, the tithe came before the law. It was with Abraham. Abraham gave 10%. To Melchizedek, he was a priest. Then his son Jacob committed to give 10% to God. And then we get to Moses, and God institutes it the law that everybody in the nation gives 10%. If you're poor, you give 10%. So you keep 90%, you give 10%. If you're wealthy, you keep 90%, you give 10%. And so you can imagine how people might respond to this, and, and not everybody wanted to do it. Because we can think of excuses, right? Well, I, don't, I didn't make so much this year. Or, you know, my, my mother was sick this year. Or my kids need to go to, to school. And so I couldn't do it. And we need to build a house. And so after I get my house, after I get the down payment down, then maybe I'll be able to give. And, and you can imagine how over time people didn't take this amount seriously. And they actually stopped giving. Well... At one point, God spoke to his people through the Malachi, a prophet. And he said this. If I can turn there. Malachi chapter 3. He said to his people, you're robbing me. And the people were confused. How have we robbed you? You know, God is saying to his people, you're robbing me. Will you, a man, rob God? And they're saying, God, how, how can we rob you? And he says, in your tithes 
and contributions, your offerings. And he's speaking to the nation of Israel. Okay? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. He's speaking to the nation of Israel. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more indeed. So here are God's people living under the law. Now, we are not under the law, okay? We're not living in the land of Israel But these people were under the law, and they were commanded to give 10%. And they stopped. And you know why they probably stopped? Is because they had just come back from Babylon, and they were rebuilding their lives. They had just come back. They were refugees. They were in exile, and now they're poor. But God is saying, look, every single one of you needs to give the tithe. And then he makes this promise. He says, if you do it, I'll bless you. You're not doing it now because you're afraid. You're afraid you're not going to have enough or you, you want to accumulate more. But if you will do it, then I will bless you. It's the only place in Scripture where God said you could test him. To give 10%. Now, that was the Old Testament. So we get to the New Testament. Jesus only mentions tithing once. It's in relation to the Pharisees, and he affirms it. But then we get to Acts, and we get to the epistles. We get to the letters of the apostles to the early church, and guess what? Nowhere does it say, give 10%. They don't tell the Gentile believers, you need to give 10%. Instead, they say, be rich toward God. Be rich toward God. Store up treasures in heaven. Give generously. So this may be a a great relief to us. But at the same time, if we're not required to give 10%, if Jesus didn't give us a percentage, what do you think it means to be rich toward God? Could it be less than 10%? You know, Jesus says, uh, or the Old Testament says, do not murder. And what did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? You have heard that it was said, do not murder. But I tell you, do not be angry. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, do not look lustfully at a woman. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor. But I tell you. Love your enemies. So if we look at the pattern of Jesus' teaching, it's taking what's in the Old Testament and bringing it not, he's not relaxing it. He's bringing it to a higher level. A higher level. So if it says be rich toward God, do you think it's less than 10% or more than 10%? I think it's more. I think it's more. And I think actually what we would say is 10%, is, that's the entry point. That's just the point where I'm not robbing God. <laughs> that's not the point where I'm proud of myself. That's the point where I begin, where I start. 
Now, in the U.S., I don't know what the stats are like in Taiwan, but in the U.S., only about 2% of believers give 10%. 2 or 3%. So, you know, for many people, it's not something they do. It's not a habit. And from probably many of you, it's not something you do. And maybe your habit has been to just give what's ever in your pocket. Maybe you've never given or maybe you give 3% or maybe you don't keep track of the percentage. And so today, what I just want to point you to is the scripture. What is the principle? In the Old Testament, it was 10%. When it comes to Jesus, it's be rich toward God. To turn from yourself to God. Now, how do we do that? How and why would we do that? Because it's hard to give up money. I took my, my son to 7-Eleven yesterday to buy him a drink. And, uh, or no, it was a Kinder Egg. You know, and this candy with a toy in it. If, you have a, if you're the parent of a, eight years and under, you know what I'm talking about. And every time they want this thing, not because they like the chocolate, but because they want the cheapest toy that you can fit in the chocolate. And it's 30 NT. There's a ch- someone's back here. They're like, that's right. And so we go, we go, and he, he bought something with his own money, and then I bought chips and a drink and, and the Kinder Egg, and it was uh, 251 NT. And he had his coin purse. And I said, Caleb, can I have one NT? Could I have one dollar? And he looks at me. He's like. <laughs> I'm like, I need a dollar. <laughs> then I'm only going to, dad, then I'm only going to have. He's like, are you going to pay me back? <laughs> I'm like, yes, I'm going to pay you back. Give me one NT. So he reluctantly allows me to take one NT coin out of his coin purse. And we get back up to the apartment, and he says, Dad, are you going to pay me back? (laughs) It's hard to give up your money. It's hard to give up your money. And so what? how do you do it? What can allow you to make a shift? Because your life is on lease. Your life is on lease, and you're going to turn it in. And you're going to lay out what you did with your money. And and there are eternal consequences. You're not saved by what you do with your money. But you are rewarded by what you do with your money. And Jesus is saying that it's foolish to just focus on yourself. It's foolish to accumulate things without being rich toward God. But what can change in our heart to help us want to be rich? Because if we're honest, if most of us are honest, we'd probably say, I really like stuff. And I like the stuff that money can buy. And if I'm really honest, I want to use my money to buy my things for me and my family. That's probably where most of us are at. And so what is the shift that needs to happen. 
Well, what do you spend money on? What do you invest in? What do you purchase? With the surplus you have, what do you tend to buy? With the surplus that I have, I don't buy skateboards. Because I really have no interest in skateboards. I don't buy little girl toys. Because I have no interest in little girl toys. What do I buy? I buy things that I like and that I want. I spend money on things that I like. And so if you want to spend money on God, what do you have to do? You just have to like God more than stuff. The solution is liking God more than things. How is your level of passion for God? How how is it? You know, in Scripture, in Psalm 42, it says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Psalm 84, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Better is one day in your house than a week in Bali. Do you believe it? Psalm 63, you are God, my God, earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. There's language in scripture where the psalmist, and these are, I believe, three different psalmists or two at least, they're, they're describing this passionate longing for God. God, I want you like I would want water in the desert. God, I would rather spend one day at church. I would rather spend one day among your people than have a thousand days in Bali or Paris or Tokyo or L.A. I would rather be with you. And for many of us, this language is absolutely foreign. Because some of us, I think, look for reasons not to go to church. And it's not something where we're longing to go and be in God's presence. We're actually longing to go away somewhere else. How could it be that someone could use this kind of language to talk about God? That there is this passion and this hunger, not for stuff, but to be in God's presence. Well, in Psalm 63, it gives us the clue. It says, I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. You know, we sang the song, let us experience your glory. Your glory, Lord, is what our hearts long for. What is the glory of God? Well, I like the definition in Wikipedia. That's probably not the first place you want to go for a theological definition. But Wikipedia's definition is the glory of God is the manifestation of his presence in a way that can be perceived by people. That God reveals himself in a way that we can understand and see. 
Now, John Piper says that the glory of God is the infinite beauty of God's manifold perfections, which is also true, but a little bit harder to understand, a little more complicated. The infinite beauty of his manifold perfections. Essentially, it's God showing us who he is. And the psalmist is saying, I long for you because I've seen you. I long for you because I've experienced you. I want more of you because I know who you are. See, life is not found in stuff. It's found in Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I am the living water. I am the bread of life. Jesus satisfies every thirst, every hunger. Jesus is the source of our joy. Jesus is the source of our peace. And it's found in Christ. And if you've encountered him, if you've tasted it, and some of you, you have, you know it, you've seen him in his glory. You've had an encounter with God where he made himself so real to you that you have been chasing him ever since. And there's a hunger that you just say, I want you, God. I want you, God. And maybe you've never had that encounter. Maybe church has always been boring. Maybe church has always been a ritual. Maybe you could say, you know what? If I had the opportunity, I would rather skip. But when you know Jesus, when you know Jesus, you give up everything for him. And so how do you get to know him if, if you're not in that place? Or maybe you're, you were in that place at one point, but you've drifted, and now you'd rather have stuff. And maybe when you were in college and you didn't have money, you were always at the meetings. You were praying. You were seeking. But then you got money, and life got complicated, and you got a family, and you realize that my family needs things, and you got into the rhythm of earning and earning and earning, and suddenly you've forgotten to pursue Jesus. What do you do? You put yourself in a place where you can encounter God. One of my professors said it this way, put yourself in the path of allurement, which is also confusing language. But it means if you like a girl and you want her to like you, Max, (laughs) you go to the restaurant where she eats lunch. If she studies at a certain cafe, you hang out in that cafe and you say hi when she walks by. You take notes. You put yourself in the path where you can encounter the woman, the girl, or the guy. I had to do this with Bo. She was constantly placing herself outside the path. But here's the thing. What do you do? You put yourself in a position where you can encounter God. What's the primary way we encounter God is through his word. It's through his word. And we get up and we say, God, I know you are worthy. I know you are worth my life. Help me to see it in your word. Help me to encounter you in your word. God, I know you are worthy. I just, I need to meet you. 
I need you to meet me. And you put yourself in a place where you can meet God and you open yourself up for God to speak to you. And you do that in the word of God. And you do it by coming to church and being in worship or going to a prayer meeting, getting into a connect group, getting with people who are seeking God. You see, if someone is going to spend their money on a car, what do they do? They start checking it out online, right? They start looking at the brochures. They start visiting different car dealerships. They start talking about it with their friends, and and they are going to invest a lot of money in a car. And so they talk about it. They think about it. They go to places. And you know what? By the time they do that, there is no turning them back. Have you ever had someone who's been on that path and then you try to say, well, you don't, you don't really need a car. You could just get a scooter. <laughs> I mean, there's no turning back. They're hooked. They're in because they've spent so much time preparing, seeking, learning. Do you do that with Jesus? Do you do that with Jesus? Your life is on lease. You're going to turn it in. You're going to turn it in. The decisions you make today matter. The decision you make about your money matters. The way you use your wealth matters because someday you got to turn it in and give an account. And Jesus is saying, if if you'll give it up, if you'll be rich toward God, God is going to bless you. It doesn't mean financial blessing, although I believe that God blesses financially. It could be in relationship. It could be an opportunity that opens. You know, sometimes we can be afraid to tithe. Say, well, I, I'm going to need the money. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I need that money. And, and you give and, and you, know, you find out that you actually get a raise. Or God opens a door to another job. Now, I believe that you should put the tithe in the church that you attend. The Bible doesn't say that. I mean, we could say the principal bring it to his house so there may be food in the house. I mean, you know, I could could make an argument from, from that direction. But it's not explicit in Scripture. And so I don't want you to think that I'm teaching this so that we can get more money at the church, although we do need more. My wife and I tithe to TIC. We give our tithe to this church because we believe in this church. Because we're passionate about this church. And because I believe that this is one of the best places for people to come to know Jesus. And that by investing in this church, more people will come to know Jesus. So I'm excited about giving it here. And I would encourage all of you to give it here. But even if you don't want to give it here, even if your heart is recoiling at what I'm saying and ah, he's, what is he doing and, and accusations and you're wondering what I'm, I'm trying to do and even if not, even if you give it somewhere else, can I tell you something? Be rich toward God. Be rich toward him because God wants you to release your money to him. Because money wants to be your God. And we need to be on guard against making money our God. Jesus says, take care. And so what do you need to do? What's one step you can take? 
One is commit to putting yourself in the place where you can encounter God. And if the worship team could come on up so I can bring this to an end. So one thing is, is putting yourself in the place. Can I, can I just challenge you another, another one? Is to commit to giving 10% for three months. Just decide, I'm going to give 10% of my paycheck to God. 10% for the next three months, for October, November, December. If October's too quick, November, December, January. And you know what? If you want to give it here and you register your giving... I talked with our church treasurer about this, but not the elders, but we'll take it out of my paycheck if we need to. If, if you do it for three months and you don't think God has blessed you, we'll give it back to you. I'm serious. I'm serious. We'll give it back. Because some of you need to take that step. Some of you need to take that step. That's not being rich toward God. That's just Old Testament obedience. Being rich is another level. And we'll talk about that in the next couple of weeks. But I want to encourage you. You know what? You don't have to do it at TIC. You don't have to do it at our church. I would encourage you to do it at our church. I would urge you to do it here, to believe in this place, to invest in this place. But give it to God. Give it to God. Money is not your security. Money is not your life. Money is not your joy. God is. And some of you have been afraid. Some of you have been afraid to give. And you're thinking, how am I going to make it if I tithe? How am I going to make it if I give God 10%? There's one pastor and he said this. If, if suddenly you lost 10% of your paycheck, would you die? If suddenly you lost 10% of your paycheck, would you die? You wouldn't. You'd make it. You'd make it. Test God. Test Him. Say, God, I'm going to put you to the test. Why not? Three months, you test God. I promise you, it will be the best investment you've ever made. When my wife and I were in seminary, I think we got paid $1,200 a month. Our apartment was $875 a month. And we tithed. I never went hungry. I never lacked. God has never let me down. Some of you, you need to take that step. And you need to make a commitment and say, today, God, I commit for the next three months. I'm going to test you in this. And don't test him with 8%. That's not how it works. You know, someone say, okay, God, I'll give you 5% and I'll see how that goes. No, you got to do the, he says the full, the full, the full. But let me tell you, if he fails you, I'll give it back to you. You could come to me and say, Peter, God failed me. I tithed and my life fell apart. I'll give it back to you. It won't. I promise you it won't. I promise you that God will bless you because this is his word. 
God wants to unleash a movement in our church of radical generosity. People are going to come to Christ in this place, but not only in this place, we're going to start blessing people across the city, across this nation, across this world. Your life is on lease. You're going to turn it in. And God's going to look at what you did with your money. Are you ready? Are you ready for that meeting? Do you want to be ready? You want to be ready? You know what? It's not, sometimes it's painful to give and it hurts. But you know what? Jesus is saying, this is life. This is life. You get life by losing it. You get joy by losing it. You get peace by losing it, by giving it away. And God is for you more than you are. And he says in Ezekiel that I will pour out my spirit. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey. So you know what God is saying? Look, I know you can't do it on your own. I know it's hard for you on your own. I'm going to help you. I'm actually going to put my presence inside of you to cheer you on, to give you the power, to give you the help that you need to release. That's why we sing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here because I want to hold on to my money, if I'm honest. And I have to go back to the word and back to the word and say, God, you are worth more than the stuff my money can buy. Because someday I'm going to turn my life in on lease. And I'm not going to be standing before God. I'm going to be on my face, probably terrified and full of joy at the same time. And I want to say, money was not my God. You were my God. Earnestly, I sought you. And I need the Holy Spirit's help for that. And if you need it, let's ask him. Say, God, help me now. God, we want to come humbly. And I just want to confess how easy it is to just think about myself, my family, what I want. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would forgive me for the ways that I hold on to my money. I hold back my hand. Lord, I ask that you would pour out your spirit on me and on every person in this congregation. Lord, we are humbly asking you for help. Lord, we don't want to give out of guilt. We don't want to give out of shame. We want to give out of joy. We want to give out of freedom. We want to give because we've beheld your power and your glory. And we see the infinite beauty of your manifold perfections because you have revealed yourself to us. And so, Lord, may you reveal yourself to us. May we see your glory. And as a response to your glory, may we be able to give our money and be rich toward you. Lord, I pray for each person here who needs to take that step that you are saying it's time to commit to tithing. It's time to 
get going. It's time for you to begin doing this. Not later, not when you have the house, not when you have the job, not when you're out of school, but right now it's time. Lord, I pray that you would give that person the power to say yes. And Lord, I pray that you would give them the grace to know where to put it, where to give it to you, how to give it to you. commitment do you need to make to God why don't you pull out your phone go ahead pull out your phone if you have your phone or if you have a something to write on I just want to encourage you to write out a commitment to God whatever it is whatever it is with your money and and if you're if you can't make a commitment because you're afraid just say God I'm afraid I'm not ready to make a commitment I want to make a commitment but will you please help me maybe that's what you got to write But I want to encourage you to write something to God. If God is speaking to you. Now, this is not between you and the church. This is not between you and me. I'm not going to read your message. But I want you to take a tangible step today between you and God. What is God calling you to do? Say, God. This is what I'm going to do. This is the step that I'm going to take today. Your life is on lease. You're going to turn it in. The commitment you make, the decision you make, it matters. It matters. God has so much for you. So much to give you. So much to show you. So much for you to experience. God is not trying to rob you. He's not trying to rob you. He's not trying to take away your life. He wants to give you life. He wants to give it to you. Trust him. Trust him. If you're afraid that I'm trying to manipulate you, give it to someone else. You don't have to give it to TIC. I would encourage you to give it to TIC. But if that's a stumbling block, if that's an obstacle, if you're like, man, I just don't know. I don't know if they're just trying to get my money. Give it to someone else. Give it to another church. Give it to Victory Bread of Life. 
Give it to God. Be rich toward God. Let's stand together. God, help us to be rich toward you. Help us not to be afraid. Help us to love you more than we love stuff. Help us to take a step forward. In Jesus' name, amen.